Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on when guests become greedy, what to do when you rent a friend's house, dealing with judgy DIYers, how to order at a business lunch, and what to do when a group organizer isn't organizing. All that plus your feedback, salute, and a postscript segment that takes a deep dive into how to handle it when loved ones aren't playing politely. Coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of APM Podcasts from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning, and we're from the Emily Post Institute. Hey, I have something back in my life, but it's got etiquette around it. Oh, do tell. (laughs) I have been so fortunate. Uh, For those of you that have been listening or binge listening, gone back and binge listen, you might have known that I used to ride Western and I had to stop for a little while. Um, It just wasn't wasn't quite working out. And I um, now have actually a friend of mine who got two Western trained horses. She was a former English rider and she wants someone to help her exercise the horses, teach them Western games, train them in more Western training. And what's really fun about that is that I have riding back in my life and it's a real passion for me. It's something that I love, but it comes with some etiquette. I am in someone else's environment with their horses, their tack, their barn, their rules. And I find myself really trying to to ask a lot of questions to find out how my friend Marion wants me to behave when I'm at the barn and I'm working with her horses. Um, and so it's it's just been like new etiquette territory again. You got to learn new rules for a new environment. I, I could vouch for how much my cousin <laughs> loves horses and loves to ride. You should see her bouncing around in her seat as she's talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm also really well aware of how specific horse culture can be. Yes. That that it's its own world in a lot of ways. And you're 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 re-entering this world but in a slightly different place than you left it from. Absolutely. And there are tons of things that having ridden at a couple different barns or a couple different ranches in my life that you learn about. That they each have their own culture. They have their own rules. Um, they have their own specifications about how you need to behave. And especially in order to make sure the horses are behaving properly. So there's been a lot of questions and Marion's been fabulous about being really chill about everything. So I don't I haven't felt that like tiptoeing on eggshells, mm-hmm. worried I'm gonna do something wrong feeling. So it's been a nice kind of host guest dance for the two of us. You hear us talk about that on the show all the time and I'm experiencing it and loving it. And it's been a ton of fun. Well I've heard from Pooja that there's also a lot of this that goes on with the animals. Yes. That, absolutely. That, that horses themselves really respond um in, in very personal ways <laughs> they that, that do. they have a, they have their own etiquettes, let's say. They absolutely, absolutely do. So it's been a lot of fun. So while you were away this weekend doing wonderful work for the Emily Post Institute teaching seminars, I was off getting some barn etiquette skills going on. Well, I'm glad <laughs> one of us was having a, a lot of fun. Um, not that I wasn't having fun I out was there. Say, but because when you come back from seminars, you're actually fairly recharged. I feel like you bring the enthusiasm of the audience home with you to the office, which is a very cool thing, my cousin. It's true once again. And this was um, a, a, a Latin American leadership summit so that cool. was happening um, for me well south of our home in Burlington, Vermont. It was so nice to, to travel a little bit and to see some fresh faces and hear some fresh perspectives. Well, that is fantastic. Should we hear some fresh questions this morning? We should. All right. Sure, you're right. But there's so much to learn how to do. Sure, there's a lot to learn, but it's worth it. And learning is easy 
One way is by watching others. On each and every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or give us a call at 802-866-0860. Our first question is titled, When Hungry Becomes Greedy. Dear Awesome Etiquette, my husband and I host a lot. Often, friends and family swing by for a visit and afternoon drinks and snacks that turns into dinner. We love cooking and put a ton of work into growing a bountiful garden and storing it for year-round use, and it's a great source of joy to share it when people come over. But one loved one in particular always takes it too far. They'll help themselves to our pricey craft beer and drink all or most of it, sometimes a 12-pack or more. At dinner, once everyone's had their fill, they'll finish whatever's left, even if several portions remain. Many times, the meal is something homegrown or special, and it hurts to see all our hard work go down one person's hatch in half an hour. We try to curb this gently by saying we'd like to save the extra food for lunch tomorrow, by saying the beers are for a party. We've even packed would-be leftovers and put them away. This person will take the food back out and help themselves to the rest. When we try to steer them toward the inexpensive beer we also keep around for when we run out of our pricey beer, they look at us as if we're being stingy. How do we say no or yes but less without offending. We want them to feel welcome in our home, but we're starting to resent their inconsiderate consumption. Thanks. Coveting my own leftovers. Wow, we we rarely get a question like this where I'm I'm hearing about some behavior and I'm thinking to myself, that's really rude. It's really rude behavior, this person. And the dirty looks for the like, no, that beer is not for this party. This isn't halfway rude. This isn't one of those, well, marginal. Maybe this is sort of creeping around the edges of really bad behavior. This is really bad behavior. And I'm reminded of the, the intro where you were talking about the host guest dance, which is a theme that returns on this show regularly. And this is an example of a really bad dance party. This is really bad. This is two left feet. Jump in here if if this sounds too extreme. But my first thought is this is how you fall off a guest list. Yes. No, Dan, absolutely. That you're not obligated to invite anyone. And even if there's been a, a tradition or a pattern where someone's been included, if their behavior is so bad that it's really putting you out, making you feel uncomfortable as a host, and it happens repeatedly despite your best, most etiquette conscious efforts to address the situation well... You do have that that extreme recourse of of having a dinner party without this person. I love that this is where my cousin went to because I am sitting here having that moment that I think a lot of our listeners have where you go, oh, yeah, that's an option. Like I, I've written out all these different tacks and things and ways as a host that you really can at some point stand up to your guest if they really are behaving rudely. I mean, you know, it's OK if they're not following the directions you've set and all that. And I'm reminded now, oh, that's right. You don't have to invite them back. Fabulous advice, Dan. (laughs) But but let's let's de-escalate just a little bit. Let's talk about some of those other options because they are also important because um, it would be a shame to lose a relationship over bad behavior that could be addressed. And we we, we do often talk about and, and I'll remind myself and everyone out there that a really good host sets really firm boundaries, really clear boundaries, helps establish them and helps a guest be a good guest. And this is one of those cases where. You might need to take it even further. You might need to to be even more more clear about how you establish those boundaries. And and maybe it's hiding the craft beer that you love so much in a fridge in the garage or somewhere else or putting big labels on it that say for December 18th gathering or right. things like that, that that start to escalate the the degree to which you're drawing those lines. And that might feel rude to you. You might say to yourself, you know, this, this is going to put someone off. At the same time, you're the one who's already been put off. It's happened repeatedly. And as long as you've taken those smaller steps along the way, I think that you're in pretty good shape to start to start to get creative about how it is you're going to hold your ground. Friendly but firm is another way that I like to think about it, where you're still being friendly, but you are drawing that line. I'm thinking of if if that moment where your guest pulls the leftovers that you've already said are for lunch the next day out 
and starts eating them. I think, tell me what you think, but I think that it would be all right to literally go up to the person as they're eating them and say, Jim, I'm really sorry, but I had mentioned these are for tomorrow and literally start packing up, maybe not the one he's actually eating out of, but... I'm envisioning that the problem, the way it's been presented to us, sounds so bad that I'm envisioning our host literally removing a Tupperware container from someone's hands and closing the lid while probably receiving a dirty look for it. And And that's the part that, that feels so awkward. I know. And I'm also not going to say that the things we're going to suggest probably aren't going to stop this person from giving you a dirty look. I think our guest is already in the camp of bad guest. And they're willing to to do that, to not say, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I completely forgot. Or, oh, I didn't realize. That's not the reaction you get when you say that craft beer is for a different party. You're getting the stingy, dirty eye. Like, you're getting the me, oh, fine, be that way, kind of a look. And I think at that point, even though two etiquette wrongs don't make an etiquette right, it's probably okay to say, no, 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 it really is for that party. And I'm sorry, that's that's how we've budgeted you know, for the holidays, that's what we've done, or I really need you to respect that. You're also reminding me a little bit of the platinum rule of etiquette, which is that we talk about the golden rule, that you treat other people the way you'd want to be treated. Yeah. And, and that, that thought, I think, is well ingrained in many people. The platinum rule is the idea that that you're going to treat other people the way they would want to be treated also, that you're willing to step into other people's territory and expectations as well. And usually we approach this from the perspective of someone who's got a different set of manners or is used to a different kind of formality or expectation. In this case, maybe you're stepping into someone's manners who's more informal or has less of an expectation of manners. That Interesting. If someone operates in a territory that's maybe, from your perspective, a little more coarse, that your willingness to engage and and be more firm and match those dirty looks is a type of etiquette all its own that's going to keep that person involved, going to allow them to continue to participate. Now, this is... This is a reach in some ways for this show. I see my cousins just grinning like, at me. I, and I, my mouth is agape. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you've blown my mind. I never thought about thinking of the platinum rule in that way that it might not be the etiquette that you want to be exhibiting, but it might be the etiquette that they understand. I don't know if they're willing to give dirty looks and things. Again, this sounds like we're starting to cross into territory of it's OK to be bad when someone else is being bad. But I also think that there's a point that Dan is making that's really, really important. And I'm I'm really intrigued by this is like a new kind of thought for me. So awesome. (laughs) So let's let's play with that new thought, but let's not go too far down the road because you also want to continue to feel good about yourself and where you're operating from. And when we talk about how to decide when to apply the golden rule and when to apply the platinum rule, we often say platinum rule for manners, for those specific social expectations we have of each other. But stick to the golden rule for those core principles of good etiquette, consideration, respect and honesty. And I would still always treat my guests with that consideration, respect and honesty and Based on the way you're approaching this question, I can tell that that's your core standard also. So I'm comfortable giving that advice a little bit here to, to try to be to be willing to, to match your guest and meet them where they are. So some little things that you might want to try doing, some little little actionable steps might be to plate your meals instead of serving things buffet style because then you're choosing how much each guest gets. I wouldn't go to the place of plating things and then immediately cleaning everything up and putting it away. I would allow your guests the room for seconds. But I I might ask people to wait to begin until maybe you've been able to say a grace or a toast or say, I'd love for everyone to wait till we're all seated to begin. As a host, it's okay to make that indication. And so that might help prevent the um, post-family syndrome where the first person served sits down, starts eating, and by the time the host, like in our, the in our case, our grandmother, arrived at the table, the first person was finishing up getting seconds before the host had even had their first bite. So that might be one way to start helping curb that person being the first person finished and the first up for seconds, taking a lot of seconds so that others Mm -hmm. don't get them. That might be a way to go. I do think hide things in unusual places. Dan is absolutely right. Whether it's the garage fridge or whether it's your closet, don't only have out what you are willing to serve that night and make it very hard for them to find anything else. 
I I still love the idea of stop inviting them over. You might want to make sure that you you do make extras mm-hmm. um, so that maybe you just anticipate, okay, this guy just eats a lot. So when Jim comes over, I need to make sure there's four potatoes for him, not one. Um, I don't know actually how much Jim eats. But those are little things that you could do to help do this. You hit most of the ones that yeah. occurred to me. What, are you, what else? What I, else I, I like that idea of either cooking just enough for that night, not counting on the leftovers yourself, or making a real intentional effort to make sure you have just tons and tons and tons of food so people can eat to their heart's content. Coveting my own leftovers. First of all, we would just want to say we do completely feel for you. This is not a good situation you've been put in, but we hope that some of these strategies will help give you the confidence to tackle this guest in the future or the confidence to leave them off the guest list. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our next question has to do with business lunch orders. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I start this email with a thank you. Five months ago, I went back to work after three months of maternity leave. I am a breastfeeding mother, so I pump at work. I stumbled across your podcast during one of those many sessions, and they have kept me informed and entertained ever since. You are both a delight, and I enjoy hearing your perspectives on the etiquette conundrums that many of us face. Now to mine. Twice a year, my boss takes my fellow co-workers and me to a lunch to celebrate the semester coming to a successful end. While I appreciate the gesture, it is always a somewhat stressful event for me. I am the youngest person in the group by about 20 years, so I spend a great deal of time listening to the ladies around me discuss what they are going to order with the hope that their experience in that area will point me in the right direction in regards to what I should choose. My husband and I have discussed what is most appropriate when it comes to ordering a meal when you know that your boss is treating you. We both feel that finding an item priced somewhere in the middle of the range of the total menu is the best route to take. But we do still question if this is the best course of action. When someone is treating you to lunch, how do you know what to order? It always feels like a test, that I am set up to fail, and I want to honor my boss's desire to treat us without taking her generosity for granted. If there is a podcast that you have already done to address this issue, please send it my way. If not, could you please let me know how to tackle this situation? Thank you in advance for your help. Best. Alex. Alex, you are in such a good place because you're already thinking about this. Um, And you and your husband are absolutely right. Our normal advice for this is to order something kind of mid-range on the menu. The other great piece of advice that I love about this is to 
Look to your host. What are they ordering? Are they choosing an appetizer and an entree? Probably really safe for you to choose an appetizer and an entree. If they're only ordering an appetizer, they might let you know, please feel free to order an appetizer, but I'm going to stick to just an entree. And that's okay. That's not a trick. That truly is them inviting you to order anything that you want. And I, following that chain of thought, I want you to know that it really is something your boss is trying to do to be nice. Bosses don't do this, in my mind, at least 99% of bosses don't do this to trick you, to test you. None of that. I think you're right when you're unsure to go with something mid-range. But I also think it's really okay if you see other people, you see your boss ordering more things or more courses or a pricier item. Your boss also might say something like, the prime rib here is fantastic. Please feel free to order it. Those are the the invitations and the cues that this is okay, don't feel pressured, do whatever works for you. The flip side is also true. If you really only want a salad or you want one of those appetizers as your main meal, it's okay to do that. The thing that I think you want to stay away from is very what a lot of people would refer to as picky territory, where you're making a lot of substitutions or changes or asks this isn't the lunch to do that. Just pick something that you can order right off the menu without changes as best you can. Obviously, if there's an allergy or something like that, you will have to make that known. However, that's perfectly appropriate. Some other thoughts that come to mind for a business lunch. Um, you might you might think to yourself, I'm going to stick to territory that I'm a little more familiar with. I'm not going to make the riskiest choice I've ever made, either with food <laughs> that's that's really new, unfamiliar, that you might or might not like. Um, sometimes we say... Stay away from food that's going to be really messy for a business lunch. This is celebratory, so I think you can afford to go to that territory that you think you're going to enjoy. But the the real situation you'd want to avoid would be having something you don't enjoy on your plate and not eating much or any of it. So exactly. it might not be the place to, to really experiment, try something new for the first time. My guess is, too, that you don't want something that's really messy when everyone else is clean and you're like there. Maybe you ordered the lobster or the ribs or the burger and it's like juicy and greasy or the spaghetti. I'm just thinking like. Particularly if you're the only one there who's 20 years younger than everyone else. Um, I, I, I love the way you talk about you doing the work of listening to what other people are talking about what they're going to order because that's it's absolutely the the tactic for a guest at one of these meals that's where you're going to pick up those cues that Lizzie was talking about the other thing that I'll mention is for all you potential hosts out there we sometimes say take your guests on a little tour of the menu choose restaurants that you know say things like you know I'm not going to get that prime rib today but really do give it a try and let them know because they're sitting there wondering exactly what Alex is wondering when she asked this question. Alex, we hope that that helps and we hope you really enjoy the luncheon this year. Our next question is titled Group or No Group? Dear Dan and Lizzie, my husband's coworker has decided to gift his girlfriend with tickets to a show in another city. He offered to purchase seats for us as well with the idea that we would pay him back and all four of us could enjoy the show together. We were excited about this plan and quickly agreed to go with them. Now it seems that all kinds of red flags are popping up signaling that we should back out. The coworker is incredibly indecisive about what day to go, what seats to book, etc. It has been weeks since his original offer, and the longer we wait, the more our preferred show dates are booked up. It makes me concerned for how the entire trip with this couple could go. I want to tell the coworker, thanks for the offer, but we're going to attend the show on our own. My husband thinks this is incredibly rude and that if we back out, we shouldn't attend at all. What's the best course of action here? Sincerely, Kay. That's a tough situation. I agree, Kay. This is not an easy one. When when the question began, as Lizzie was reading it, I had one thought. Yeah. <laughs> and as we got to the end of the question, a second thought was starting to emerge. Lay and on me. <laughs> my first thought is, and and this is a firm point of etiquette, I think it's a good one to set the table with, is that once you've accepted an invitation, you've accepted an invitation. That yes is a pretty firm yes, that your reasons for cancellation need to be just as firm. They need to be a real conflict and a conflict that you can take ownership of and talk about with the host. And you need to be willing to take that social hit because it, it is a burden when you've accepted an invitation because someone has started to plan for your attendance and participation. And there's going to be a bit of a cost to them when you withdraw. And any good guest or good host wants to put their dance partner at ease. <laughs> and, and that's a moment of disease. Yeah. 
the fact that emerged <laughs> as this question went on that made me say, you know, you might be in territory where you could still back out if you want is that the tickets haven't been purchased yet. Yeah. That the cost isn't so set that it's going to make it so hard to back out if you really think that's the right idea. And some of the reasons that you give here are reasons that make good sense, that, that tell me this might be a good idea, that frankly, you're even having trouble picking a date and you're talking about traveling to another city with people, that you've got many more choices in front of you, that the number of choices that have been made are are fewer than the number of choices that are left to be made, and that it might actually be wiser to, to get out of the situation. If that is the course of action that you take, I'm going to land at the end of this question in your husband's territory, where I think that you want to be really careful about going anyway, but not in the company of this other person. That for me, some of the reasons that you might employ to break the small commitment that you've made have to do with things like it just being difficult to do, hard mm-hmm. to organize. The You even mentioned here some of the preferred dates might no longer be available. And if that were true of your most preferred date, to me, that would almost be your perfect excuse. You know, we'd really been hoping to do it on this day and that's not possible. So we don't think we're going to be able to do it. It would be awkward for your husband to then be talking to his coworker about being there on a different weekend. That's the the broad strokes picture that I start to paint in my mind as I as I hear the way this question question's framed. Do you think that that means that you're not going at all, or do you think that they'll just go on a different weekend from when the coworker goes? Because I'm I'm questioning whether the coworker's ever even going to make this happen at all if this couple backs out. But I think it is such solid, good reasoning to say, you know, unfortunately, the dates that we we really could have gone on are now booked up so we can't go on the trip. I think that's that's like legit. And then you're not going and that's it. You just you won't run into them there. You won't have to worry about that. It'll just be a plan that was a fun idea, but it just didn't pan out. And that happens. And that's okay that that happens. That, to me, is a safer option than trying to tell this person, hey, it seems like you're really not able to make this happen. Do you want me to take the lead? I think you could potentially, depending on, I mean, the husband knows the coworker, but depending on the coworker, you might be able to say, hey, Jim, I know we really, why do I always choose the name Jim? Poor Jim, man. I don't even. Very rude. Very rude, All the gyms I know are really nice. Hey, Paul, how's that? Uh, You know, hey, Paul, I think it's such a great idea, but we we really do need to pick a date and just decide. And I have been in Paul's position where there's something really exciting that you want to go do and you almost get paralyzed by the options. It's like, oh, my gosh, there's a dance pointing to himself. I do this all the time. It, it can be paralyzed. Oh, do we want to go there? Do we want to sit here? What do we just pick something? And at some point, someone usually says, just pick something because we're going to have a great time. And it's putting that positive modifier on it that can really help. Hey, Paul, let's nail down a date. Because I know we're going to have fun no matter when we go. Let's just pick a weekend and pick a couple seats, and then we can start taking care of the rest of the details. And that's that positive encouragement that, like, hey, yeah, let's just do this because we're going to have a great time no matter what. <laughs> Lizzie Post, thank you for taking me there because that is another really sound approach to this situation. You can help your co-host be a good co-host, and you're now jumping into the role of co-host. You're no longer that person's guest. They had a great idea, but it's not on on them to plan this whole trip for four people. And as you were talking, it was making me think of, and I'm going to enter some slightly dangerous personal territory. Technically, it's tier one, small talk safe. I am a huge (laughs) Patriots fan. Yes, you are. And the Tom Brady, Bill Belichick era will not last forever. And for someone who lives within a few hour drive of greatness, (laughs) getting together with a couple of friends to go see a Patriots game is a lot of fun. And I am the indecisive one in that decision making group. And it is so helpful to have a very good friend who says, I'm sitting at the computer. There are these days and these seats and just tell me if you're available on this weekend or this weekend because he knows what you just said. As long as we choose one and we go, we're going to have a great time. And having that kind of friend in your life is also really nice. So I I like having that option on the table as well. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Perfect. Well, Kay, you've got two different options, either a good way to back out or a good way to try to encourage this process to move forward. I hope either way that you have a great weekend, that maybe you do get to go see this show, um, and that your husband is able to maintain that business relationship that's important to him. Best of luck to you, Kay. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up, but first a word from our sponsor. Our next question is about when you rent. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I just discovered your podcast and enjoy it very much. I have a question for you. We will be renting at a reduced cost our friend's house in Texas for the month of February. This is their winter home, and normally they do not rent it out. I've been thinking of asking my brother and his wife to join us for a week. I feel embarrassed to ask my friend as she is doing us a favor by renting us her home. At the same time, I think my sister-in-law would benefit from escaping the Canadian cold. What do you think? Is it proper to ask my friend? Your help would be greatly appreciated. Thank you, Rosie. Hi, Rosie. I think you're wise to be approaching this with a little bit of caution. It's definitely true that when someone does you a favor, you want to be careful not to take advantage of that or um, even to give the impression that you're taking advantage of that. Having said that, I also think that if you're actually renting the house, it's probably appropriate for you to have some guests. That That's a, a reasonable expectation when you are renting a place. And as long as you're not really exceeding its capacity, as long as you're not going to be trying to pack so many people in that it's likely to break a septic system or something like that, that, that it's not an unreasonable ask, but you might want to approach it as a soft ask. You, you definitely want to to make the request or let someone know, even if it's not necessarily a request, you want to keep them in the loop, let them know how you plan to be spending your time, just in terms of the number of people that you're going to have there. You don't need to report to them, but you just don't want them to be surprised later on if they think that you're the only people staying there. I think that's a really thoughtful way to approach it. I I would kind of go the other way, though. I would say that this is this is your rental. And you're paying for it. If you were house sitting for her, I might consider asking. But I think it's unreasonable for her to think that an entire month's rental would result in you being in that house completely alone. But I like Dan's room for the potential that this is the way the friend would prefer you behave in the house. So by asking, you then know which side your friend falls down on. Whereas in my version, if you don't ask... You don't, you know, like you don't get in trouble, but that's not necessarily true. So I think it's like the ask is a good thing to ask. But I also think you'd actually probably be in good territory since you are renting the house for a whole month to invite your sister-in-law down for a week. And you could include that in your plans. Oh, we're so happy to be renting it for the month of February. My sister-in-law and my brother are going to come down for one of the weeks to escape the Canadian cold. It's going to be so nice to just get away for an entire month. And I think that that would be something that would be a good way to, maybe you're not technically asking, but you're informing. I think Dan's right, though. There are certain circumstances where you would ask. If I was hired to be house-sitting, I would ask if I could have guests over. Our master of sample scripts has given us the, the good language. No, that's that territory that's that's not the ask or the report. But right. you're, you're keeping someone in the loop. You're keeping them informed. And I really appreciated knowing that the rental is coming at a reduced rate. So there yeah. is this favor there involved is some here favor as well. If you were renting a hotel room, it would have a defined limited capacity. Right. You would know that it's meant to be this number of people. Right. And if someone's not used to renting their home out, they... They don't have those rules drawn up and they might have that expectation in their mind, reasonable or not. Yeah. And it, it's definitely if it were an Airbnb, it would have a capacity or a, a number of people that were associated with the rental. And because this isn't that, then there might be an, an unspoken understanding about that. Rosie, you probably know your friend 
the best and have some idea of the most appropriate way to approach this with her. And I think that you're even thinking about it ahead of time indicates to me that you're going to make a really good choice about how you present that. Yeah. I mean, she might be someone that, you know, isn't that comfortable with people she doesn't know in her home or she might be. Just that person who needs to be informed. I have a lot of friends who are like that, where they just want to know what's going on. They're usually okay with everything, but they feel I'm that person. I don't really care what happens as long as I know about it. I feel better. If I find out later, then I feel weird. So I think, you know, you're just like Dan said, you know, your friends. So operate off of that as best you can. Rosie, we really hope this helps and we hope that you have an amazing stay this winter. And this is the beginning of a long relationship where this house is an option for you. Exactly. You always want to behave in a way that gets you invited back. (laughs) Our next question has the intriguing title of (laughs) DIY Shy or Do It Yourself Shy. Alternately titled. Oh, DIY Judgy or Judgy DIYers. We had a bunch of different ones for this one. (laughs) Dear Lizzie and Dan, now there is a topic that has me floored and I could use your insight. I've been noticing a sort of cult following of the self-help do-it-yourself movement. People have told me I really should learn to make my own shoes, buy bulk linen and sew my own sheets and drapes, learn how to brew kitchen sink kombucha, if my health actually matters to me, that is. Use my weekend hours to process soybeans into milk, reupholster curbside fines rather than buying furniture. The list goes on. I am lacking a few key resources for following this advice. Time, money, and the most important basic interest. There are other skills and interests that matter to me, things I am working hard to master. Case in point, I am working on my etiquette skills, so I might respond tactfully to their advice. I just, that is such great humor. Sorry. (laughs) It's good Vermont humor. Very dry, very dry. The latent message seems to be that the world would be a better place, that I would be a better person, if only I cared enough to take up the other person's passion. Dan and Lizzie, all I've got is this one small flawed self. Gallant efforts notwithstanding, how do I tell my friends and family to make peace with the imperfect person I already am? With gratitude, your dedicated listener. Dan Post-Sitting, I think you could not have read that any better. Like, I, I appreciate the, the spirit. The humor <laughs> and the spirit, I think you nailed it. <laughs> dedicated listener, I totally understand. Dan and I live in the world of DIY. I mean, it is so Vermonty. You've heard me talk about canning my own vegan chili. You've heard Dan talk about the things he does on his little house up on the mountain. I mean, we we do live in a world where people are especially DIY capable, encouraged, and they feel it's important. And all those things can lead to DIY judgy. And I think that's what you're experiencing. It's totally fine to share thoughts and hobbies and ideas, but where I take issue with these folks are when they place judgment on the subject, like the line of, oh, well, you need to do it for your health, or, oh, well, I'm reupholstering this so that I'm not contributing to mass consumerism. And they're all good things, but it's when they're, they're said with that air of... Yeah, I'm better than you because I do it. And people don't always even intend to drop that air into it, but somehow they just do. And it's so frustrating. And I can also say flip side, as the DIYer, I can hear it come out of my mouth in a way that I don't want it to. Like when I'm talking about canning all of the food that I can and jar for the winter, I don't want that to sound like you're bad for not doing it. I just think it's so great and it's helped me so much that I want to encourage everyone in the world to do it because it's made such a difference in my life. It's really hard to not have it come off as like sounding like everyone should be doing this. So a little a little credit or a little a little grain of salt to those people who are saying this. But I, I want to jump in and please m- mention the, the, the thought that instantly comes to mind for me is that yeah. in Burlington, there is a, a local foods movement. Yes. The, the restaurants in Burlington have been featured as oh. part of a local foods and local food culture. And it's it's there's a similar spirit to it, to the, the do it yourself movement that you talk about here. And my cousins from Boston had the best description where I say, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's it's excellent, but it just unctuous was the word that, <laughs> that they used to describe it. And um, that that discussion with my Boston cousins about how Burlington appeared to them in terms of its food culture has has <laughs> sat in my mind, has reminded me to do my best to avoid this territory that that you're talking about that really isn't such good territory. It's not good etiquette territory when people feel judged or like they're not meeting a certain standard that 
frankly, they don't have a lot of interest in meeting in the first place. You're not planning on growing your own garden and making your own baby food for the baby that's about to arrive? You haven't already done that this summer and jarred it all up? Dan, why wouldn't you? It's so easy. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> and the funny thing is we're, we're thinking about doing exactly that. But but, but when you say summer, it like that, yeah. it just sounds terrible. Doesn't it just make you want to run out and buy every every like jar of baby food off the shelf and be like, here, I bought in bulk. <laughs> like, Sorry. Um, I think there are some avenues for this. When you're dealing with that, I don't want to say that passing stranger, but when you're dealing with someone who you don't know as well, maybe they're not as close a friend, brush it off moment to acknowledge they're not actually behaving great. I'm not going to return with rudeness and let it be water off a duck's back. But when it comes to close friends and family who are doing this, I think because the likelihood is that they're doing it very regularly to you, I would feel very confident saying something like, you know, I admit I get a bit overwhelmed when I hear that. I I do a lot to take care of my health and, and making kitchen sink kombucha just isn't an option for me right now. But I love hearing what you're up to. I just don't want to feel like I'm not healthy for not doing those things. And I think that's a, that's an easy way. And even that's not one of my best sample scripts, but like that's an easy way to kind of say, hey, you know, I, I appreciate sister that you're doing it or my brother or mom that you're doing it. But it's just not something I can take on. And and when you say it like that, it makes me feel like I'm a really bad person for not taking it on. <laughs> A little bit, you have to navigate your own emotions. You have to be, you know, someone who is able to say they're not judging me. They just really are trying to encourage me and it's not coming out right. But you can also stand up for yourself and set that boundary a little bit. Just remind them, hey, um, trying to live the best life I can over here. Your often earnest, sometimes unctuous cousin thinks that that sample script sounds just fine. Does it? Okay, because I wasn't quite sure. It does. And I I am sure that dedicated listener will approach that delivery of that kind of sample script with the same good humor that this question was asked with. (laughs) Dedicated listener, thank you so much for that question. It was a delight. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, and salutes to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message at 802-866-0860. We do so love having your voice on our podcast. Or you can hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette if you choose to reach out to us on social media. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Being agreeable, saying and doing things in a pleasant way, that's easy enough. And it does make a difference all day long. It's feedback time when we get to hear your take on our etiquette advice. Producer Chris Roberts has been poring over your reactions and is here to give us an update. Hi, Chris. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. And yes, indeed, it's feedback time. Let's get started. Speaking of updates, Anonymous has one. Anonymous, in this case, is the listener who asked about being invited to more than one Thanksgiving get-together. And she writes... The two of you were kind enough to answer a question I had about being invited to multiple Thanksgiving gatherings. I had a wonderful day and did stove top it (laughs) by going to one home for dinner and the other for dessert and games. And I'm going to pause here. I read that kind of funny because a few episodes ago, Dan, in passing, (laughs) mentioned stove topping it, (laughs) using it as a verb and props to you, Dan. I think you have single-handedly resurrected a commercial slogan from back in the day and made it hip and nostalgic at the same time. Kudos to you, Dan. 
Back to Anonymous. Thank you for the advice to not overstep my boundaries as a guest, she writes, even though I did not get to hear this before Turkey Day. I was quite proud of myself for doing what you suggested anyway. It made me feel like I've listened and learned over the past few months and as a result already had an idea of what you would do and how I should respond. Wow, that's quite a compliment. I love it. Jessica got back in touch with us in response to the very friendly and entertaining debate last episode, I believe, you two had over thank you cards in one envelope. (laughs) And Jessica writes, I'm reminded of a past episode when a listener asked about thank you notes with birthday gifts and Christmas gifts when the two holidays are close together. I believe it was Lizzie who said that you can't wait to lump the thank yous together in one card. But in this most recent episode, it seems she has switched positions. Now I'm confused. I agree with Dan that two sizable events like birthdays, Christmas, weddings, etc. deserve two separate thank yous. However, if you were thanking a neighbor for shoveling your driveway and hosting you for tea, both awesome, what a great neighbor, it may make sense to thank them for both things in one card. Now, Lizzie, I'm sure you're not flip-flopping necessarily, but why don't you explain what was going on? No, I do do agree that when it comes to something, and this is especially in, in reference to the past episode, the issue was a birthday and a Christmas. And I didn't want them to wait until after Christmas to send the card. But I agree with you that when it's when it's smaller things, when it's not big event things, you could lump them together into one thing, especially when maybe someone, yeah, the neighbor did you a favor and then you had dinner with them or they gave you maybe a, a holiday present or something like that. That would be okay in my mind when there's smaller things that happened very close together. I could also see, and another listener brought this up in some feedback that um, I received this morning, so we weren't able to get it into this episode. But I could also see where if you hosted a a wedding shower for someone, maybe less than a month before the wedding, or maybe you hosted that um, bridesmaids luncheon and sent a wedding gift, I could see thanking someone for that in, in one thank you, in one card, two thank yous in one card, because they're both similarly related events. They're both tied to the wedding. I could see that. And that was that was her suggestion, that if they were about the same type of event but happened to be two separate things related to that event, it might be okay to do that. Another example of that would be if you hosted a shower and obviously gave the honoree a gift— you could thank them for the gift and hosting the shower in the same card. Dan is nodding his head. I, that's what I was waiting for was the co- cousin confirmation across the table. But I, I really like the fact that, A, Jessica pays enough attention to the show that she brought this up and reminded me of what I had said before so that we could explain the difference between those two thank you uh, note navigations. And Jessica, I'm, I'm, I'm especially impressed being someone who's expecting uh, the arrival of a little girl right around the Christmas holiday. Day. And it's also her, her due date is the same as my sister-in-law, who oh. has expressed her frustration that <laughs> oftentimes her birthday gets rolled into that Christmas holiday. And that happens to be one of those particular instances where you really want to make an effort to give both of those events their due and really, really celebrate someone's birthday with all of the, the uniqueness that that person <laughs> deserves. Absolutely. I will also say that in the in the previous case, I believe there was a good bit of time between the birthday and Christmas. If you were, let's say, within the week of of Christmas and you celebrate Christmas and obviously your birthday, do you think you could handle doing one card that addressed both thank yous? I kind of feel like that would be okay because that way you're not writing double thank yous within a week of each other. I feel like time is a is a factor here. Am I going off on the rails? Am I being too permissive, Dan? What do you think? If I was the the person with the birthday and I was expecting people to treat them differently. Yeah. I would want to treat the thank yous. Clearly there are some options, there are some some ideas to consider and I will cap this one by saying that at the very end of the day making the thank you is the most important part that we can parse out different ways to do it properly but that making the thank you is really the thing you should focus on first and foremost. Holy smokes, you guys, you're both going so deep on this, we could make an entire episode out of this question. We, we really could. Gratitude and expressions of thanks are so important. To be continued. To be okay. continued. We'll let that be the last word. <laughs> I, 
I saw this from Danielle on Awesome Etiquette Facebook in the comments below the posting of episode 116, the re-gifting do's and don'ts episode, and I thought I would share. Danielle says, a comment on gifting in general. I know that I am in the minority on this, but I'm actually insulted when I see a gift receipt. I'd rather have a gift that I may not like without the receipt because it feels more personal and thoughtful without the receipt. And this really got me thinking and actually second-guessing myself, because personally, I automatically include gift receipts when I can with gifts, and I'm not sure that I'm doing it in the classiest way possible. Should I not include it and present it afterward, after the gift is opened? But it's, it's a really good comment. It got me thinking. My thought right off the bat, Chris, is though I I think that as our commenter replies that she knows she's in the minority. And I think that you're pretty safe with sticking with the majority. Some things that might help, you can always make that gift receipt a little um, less conspicuous. It can not be sitting on the top of the shirt when they open the box, but be down underneath the shirt. So the first impression, the first uh, impact is the gift itself. I think that's one thing. And if you do have a friend who falls into this territory and they've somehow let you know, you can always say, I've got a a stack of gift receipts in my wallet and I'd, I'd love to share I'm happy to share with you if you think that you might like a different size, color, or even just some store credit. See, I think that's harder because then you're then you're causing them to have to ask for it. But I think the inconspicuous is great. Often a little envelope taped to the top. By the way, um, as Dan was talking, I was miming my thumb up and running it up and down in the air. And I was realizing, how on earth is he going to know I'm trying to say, tape it to the underside of the box top? <laughs> That's apparently what that gesture means, just so you know, Dan. Noted. <laughs> um, but I think I think you're right that kind of making it less conspicuous is a good idea. But gifts receipts are good. I'm I tend to be in in your camp, uh, Danielle. That I I don't really want to return a, a gift that someone's given me. I don't. I, I'm fine having it the way that it is. I will tell you, I know a lot of people who are in the other camp. I don't want things I don't want. I don't want to have to keep it around for three months so that you can see it in my house and then I'm you know, I can get rid of it. And so I think there's two different thoughts on that. And I think discreetly taping that gift receipt is a great idea, Dan. I like that middle territory. You see what I mean about putting your best foot forward? And now it's time for our postscript, where we do a slightly deeper dive in a topic of etiquette. And this week's postscript is a little bit different. It actually comes from a collection of questions. We have had a number of questions recently that fall into a category that are tough to solve or even feel good about giving answers to, because often what our listener is up against is someone who is not willing to play politely with them. And it's often happening with close friends and family. Examples would be the family that never makes time to Skype on a holiday with the sister that lives 3,000 miles away in a new city and she's all alone. Or it's the person with a dietary restriction or a, a change in their dietary habits who gets brushed off as being annoying or just in a phase or trendy. Another one is the son who took kind of an alternative career path and the parents are always judging him against his friends and what career paths they've chosen. And so it's it's really frustrating because these are things that are hurtful. They're things you don't feel you should have to stand up for. You want your family to be loving and inclusive and accepting. Yes, accepting. Considerate. Considerate. Respectful. Exactly. (laughs) So these are etiquette issues and we'd love for everyone to feel supported in their walks of life. But when that support doesn't show up, what do you do, especially with close friends and family? It can it can just be so hurtful. So Dan and I had some thoughts about how to tackle this. And this is really tricky territory. And it's a, a theme that emerges when you're in the etiquette field. And that's what do you do when everyone isn't playing by those same rules? And I, I oftentimes start this particular piece of advice with the reminder that Accidents happen in life, mistakes will be made, and not everyone you encounter is going to be operating with that same framework of consideration, respect, and honesty. Or maybe if they are, they're not going to be completely aware of what that means to you. 
And it's easy to be graceful and poised and at our best when the people around us are all in that same territory, yeah. but that it's oftentimes the, the real test or the real challenge and the place where we find out the most about ourselves and our capacity for consideration, respect, and honesty when we're interacting or dealing with people who we don't feel are treating us the same way. So in that spirit, I think it's important to talk about these things, and it's important to acknowledge that that happens because it does. Obviously, one of the first things you can do is you can have a sincere discussion. Mm -hmm. um, you know, mom and dad, I know that me being a vegetarian is, is something new and you guys weren't sure kind of how long it would last. But I would really love it if when you're thinking about our holiday meal, we could think about it as something that would support that. So rather than a wonderful beef bourguignon at Christmas, could we do something that has side dishes that are separated out so that you all can have the meat and the gravy and I can eat the other side dishes and, and you know, can really feel included in the meal? You're not so much saying you're disrespecting me by not serving me the right thing, but instead you're saying, you know, hey, this would be an option where I could be really happy and you guys don't even have to worry about my dietary needs. When we talk about having difficult discussions in professional formats, we often say if you're going to raise any issue or problem or difficulty, come prepared with some solutions as well. And that's going to make it so much easier for the person that you're talking to to hear you yeah. if they hear that that effort and your participation in trying to solve it as well as raise the, the issue to begin with. Another piece of advice that we give there is to prime them for that discussion. Regular listeners to the show have heard me say this before because I think it's a really powerful idea yeah. that just saying, you know, there's something a little tricky that I'd like to talk with you about. Is, is now a good time or could we could we hop on the phone together tonight? Just just enough so that they're prepared for that discussion. And that ideally, if they've responded, yes, or, oh, yeah, no, now's a good time. What is it? Now you've got them primed. They've already given you permission to go to this difficult territory. And, and that can really help to get it solved. Advice I always love. Um, one of the other things that you can do that's somewhat similar but a, a little bit more involved is to prep and plan ahead as best you can if you can. You know, our, our listener who wanted the Skype chat with the family, she tried to set up times. And the hardest thing was that she she kind of did prep and plan. And I think next she needs the sincere discussion. But the prep and plan is set a couple options for times to reach out and have that Skype call because you don't know how the big family gathering is going to go. If maybe the turkey burned and they're running late or something, kind of have some contingency plans available. Um, also be the one offering to call so that they're not just forgetting to call you. So there are some slight ways that you can try to, to help facilitate making it as easy on the other people. For the food issue, obviously, it's offering to bring your own dishes. Things like that can help make sure that you feel good about everything. And, and sure, we all would like for ev everyone else once in a while to take care of it for us. And I'm hoping you'll get your family members to that point. But in the beginning, you might have to do the training by doing the prep and planning work. Well, and sometimes this advice takes the form of be prepared to negotiate that just because you're raising an issue doesn't mean that it's going to get solved exactly the way you want it solved, that you're willing to actually participate in a discussion that might go back and forth, that might result in a solution that isn't exactly the one that you brought. And that's why I like this idea of having a couple different times, having the option to bring some food yourself or to suggest that the dish that they might prepare, if that's going to be easier, but but have a couple of solutions. Be prepared to talk about it. Be prepared to hear an idea, both in the moment and maybe the next day. I'm someone who will hear something and I will actually hear it. But oftentimes the good response doesn't come for about 24 hours till I've had time to digest it and really internalize the information. So um, that willingness to listen, that willingness to negotiate, and, and at the end to hopefully get everyone's buy-in on whatever the solution is. Is that going to work for everyone? And if people say yes, then I think there's a much more reasonable uh, expectation that you're actually going to get there together. So Dan just made me think of a whole bunch of different things with that comment. And, and one of them is really choose your language carefully. The I need, the demanding language, the language that says accuse in an accusational way, you know, you never look out for me. Yes, you want to vent those things because they are your emotions, but rather than bring your emotion to the problem, bring your solutions to the problem. And that's what Dan's talking about. And I love the fact, I, I just love the fact that you talked about leaving room for the other party to be the one that comes up with the solution. There may have been things you weren't thinking of that 
impact why those phone calls weren't happening or why that dish wasn't getting made. And when you open up the other person uh, to the conversation in a way that allows them to present how they're being affected by this or what they can and can't entertain at this time, you have a better chance of doing what we do in the five-step process, which is to look at all who are involved and how they're affected to find the good solution. One of the other things that I can say that really does help is to truly identify moments where it goes right and to show your gratitude in those moments and even explain why that worked so well for you and how much it meant to you that your family looked out for you. The fact that my mother wanted to talk with me about Christmas dinner before just choosing something made me feel so respected and considered in our family. And it made me reach out and say, but you know, if everybody really wants that dish that's actually all meat based and everything, it's okay. I'll deal with it. I'll figure it out because I don't want to ruin everyone else. So I went from being in a place of, oh my gosh, what's going to happen and what are we going to serve to a place of, oh, wait, no, I could actually bend on this and you guys could all have what you want. You know, it's it's amazing what happens when everyone starts being considered. Never underestimate the power of goodwill. Yes. <laughs> Never yes. underestimate the power of a positive example or positive reinforcement. It is often the best way to uh, encourage. I don't want to use the word train, <laughs> but to, to help draw out those behaviors um, with some regularity in a way that's really going to make everyone feel good. This one kind of goes back to what we were saying about keep your end of it positive, which is to stay the etiquette high ground and hope for change, but don't expect change. When you hope for it, you leave room for it to be there. You don't just automatically put up that barrier that says, you guys just don't do this for me and I'm done with you and, you know, grr. But you just say, I, I really hope this year will be different. But if it's not, here's my backup plan for how to handle it and to feel positive about handling it. And I like that that mentality because what we're going to go into in the next couple of, of points are, are ways to maybe distance yourself. And that's not the territory I love giving people advice to go to. But it is an important one to recognize sometimes when you remember you have a choice about whether you go to this holiday or whether you engage with your family on these topics. You have a choice. And sometimes backing out of that choice or removing yourself from that situation reminds people, oh, wait. We really weren't thinking about that. And this just made it really uncomfortable for this person to the point where they didn't come to the holiday. Now, there might be some ruffled feathers at first, but when you're not present and all of a sudden they re they remember, wow, you know, Beth's not here and we miss her. And now I do want to make that phone call or I do want to, you know... I want to make her feel welcome and supported, not like she has to leave in order to feel comfortable. Definitely there is behavior that crosses that line from one of being discourteous, from not showing respect in a way that is gray area infraction to not showing respect in a way that's potentially damaging. And I like the way you frame this, that even just remembering that you have a choice can help you feel less trapped, can help you avoid those exaggerated emotional reactions that inflame situations and can make them worse, that your attention is a gift and you really get to choose where you apply it and who you give it to. And in many ways, that is the most powerful tool at your disposal, both in terms of how you engage it, but also in terms of the confidence that it can give you to be who you are, to be comfortable with who you are, and to engage with the people around you in ways that are safe for you. I'm so glad you used the word confidence because I think if you were to take this route, you would want to do it in a positive, confident way that lets other people know you're okay, as opposed to a defiant way. So you don't just leave in a huff or you don't just uh, boycott the event in a huff. Instead, you say, you know what, I think this year I'd like to be able to prepare my own meal and have a quiet uh, celebration on my own. Something like that, where the other people don't feel like you're doing it as a nah, in your face kind of a way. You want to have that confidence that it's OK that you're choosing this path. You've, you're OK with it. And I think, as Dan said, even just the knowledge that it's an option often gives you the confidence to actually attend the event in a positive way. And, and that loops me back to the place that we started this whole postscript, which is that ultimately these are relationships that really matter. That the reason these are particularly difficult is that we're hearing about these situations from people who are facing really difficult circumstances with close friends and family. And that's that's what makes it so tricky. It's why we wanted to start with the advice about 
ways to have those difficult conversations, ways to approach them that that are most likely to lead to success, but also to reaffirm that there are ways you can um, improve relationships by making clear limits and boundaries as well, and that that can help everyone feel feel comfortable. We truly hope that this helps with some of the really difficult situations that some of our listeners find themselves in. And um, best of luck navigating this holiday season. send you off today, as we always do, with an etiquette salute. This one is from Sheila, who wants to honor a rather extraordinary kindness from a stranger. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I have an etiquette salute for a woman whom I met the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. I shop at a local food co-op, and for every $10 that you spend at the co-op, you get one green stamp. And these green stamps can be redeemed for kitchenware, Tupperware, houseware, etc. I had been collecting these stamps for a very long time, and I was really excited to redeem the stamps right before the holidays for something for my new apartment. So I stopped into the co-op, and I saw this frying pan, which was something I actually really needed for my apartment. And then I was pretty heartbroken when I realized that I did not have enough stamps to actually redeem them for that frying pan. All of a sudden, this woman comes out of the co-op and asks me if I need any stamps. I said, sure, if you don't mind. I then showed her the frying pan I really wanted. And I explained to her that I only had 93 stamps. And she then said, oh, you only need seven stamps and took out a handful of stamps from her purse. And I was pretty ecstatic. I thanked her over and over. I wished her a happy Thanksgiving. You know, I just, I felt so grateful. And then she said, I'm going to stay with you to make sure that you have enough stamps when you go to redeem them. So she then stood in line with me to make sure that I had enough stamps. And I forgot to mention that she had just done her grocery shopping, so she was still holding her grocery bags. And since it was the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, the lines were not short. So this woman was just beyond kind um, with her stamps and with her time. And after that, I went into work and I told all of my coworkers about what happened I was pretty blown away, and so were they. And one of my coworkers did say, this means you have to pay it forward now. And that is what I plan on doing. And I really was excited to share this with you because ever since I started listening to your podcast, I know that I've become a kinder individual and much more thoughtful in my interactions with people. So thank you very much. Sheila, thank you so much for that salute, for something that that had an impact in your wife. And I I love the idea of this paying it forward being one of the lessons that you took away from from this encounter, from this experience, because it really is amazing how far a little kindness can go in this world. So once again, thank you for reminding us of that. That's what good manners do. They make everyone feel at ease. Thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can reach us at 802-866-0860. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Help us out and subscribe on iTunes. And please consider leaving us a review. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner. And our show is produced by Chris Roberts. Chris Roberts.